You're listening to Stand Out with Ian O'Connell. Wednesday evenings from 8pm here on Radio Kerry. You're very welcome to Stand Out with me, Ian O'Connell. I hope I find you safe and well. I'm delighted to say that my guest on the show this week is Neil Kelders. Neil hasn't had the easiest journey growing up as he suffered quite badly with his mental health. I'm going to talk to Neil about the importance of mental health in our lives, what role it plays in our own lives day to day, his own journey battling his own mental health problems and much more. Sit back and enjoy the show. Um, thanks a million for, for coming on today, Neil. I r- really appreciate it. No problem at all. Thanks for having me. Um, before we start, do you want to give me a, a quick background on yourself, um, say growing up and where you're from and stuff for the listeners to get a, a bit of a, an idea of you? Yeah, I will. I'm uh, from Killarney. Um, lucky enough to grow up in Killarney because I call it kind of the outdoor mecca, you know, it's... Uh, I love running in nature and stuff like that. And you know yourself, you've talked in all these wonderful places, Muckras. Um, I'm from Woodlawn, Woodlawn Drive. Uh, so it was a small cul-de-sac, but back then when we were growing up, there were fields all around us. So even though we were close to the town, we'd actually have farm of fields around us. So we, we'd, go, we'd be gone from one day, uh, end of the morning to the next in the evening, only coming back for digestive biscuits to, feed, to fill our bellies, you know. And, uh, yeah, we did the usual stuff, building rafts, building carts, you name it, having fun. So I went to the SEM, SEM Bremen's College in Killarney. And, um, yeah, I suppose had a, a regular childhood, the same as everyone growing up in Killarney, until you, you hit the college scene and you seem to, people seem to wander in their own direction, then their own path, you know. So, as I said, lucky enough to uh, still have friends back home. My mom lives there and... Uh, um, I get back lucky enough to get back once in a while. Very good. Um, I suppose I I was introduced to you um after my accident. We we met. Uh, I suppose it was only a few months after coming home. But I remember you telling me about your own story and when you were suffering with your mental health. Um, do you want to give a a background on that? When when did it start and how how are you yeah. now and yeah, so I um, revealed in 2014 that I struggled with depression, anxiety, and suicidal ideation. And it was the first time I spoke. So at that stage, I think I was 36. I'm giving away my age now, for sure. Um, 36. And I say for over 21 years, I struggled alone. And when I say alone, I wore a mask and nobody knew. And people that did know me at that time would have said I was kind of kind of outgoing, you know, as you would say, one of the lads, a good old Kerry saying. And um, I was bubbly, played sports, had friends, did did everything the same as everybody else. So outside, it seemed like this confident go getter. But inside, in a sense, I was dying. And that's how I kind of describe it, because I was battling every day just to face you, face people, face the outside world. Um, And I can remember the first time, I kind of say it was 15 years of age when I kind of clicked there was something up because I remember in the SEM we had to study. I wasn't the best studier. And we had this big... Yeah, yeah. Uh, We won't say anything about that, so we'll, (laughs) we'll skip by. But we had this big science book and I was there doing everything but... Uh, reading it I was writing the Liverpool team on my desk or you name it and uh, 
I remember I looked down at the book then I'd written suicide. So I'm 15 years of age writing suicide. And this was a thought each and every day, countless times a day, because I was struggling so much and I, I didn't know why I was so different to everybody else. And everybody else seemed to get life there. Uh, find it easy and, and be able to take their path through life. And I wasn't, and I was only 15, but you know, it feels like it's the end of your world. Yeah. And there was only, as time struggled on, there was only one way out for me because I believed as time 15, 16, as I went into my twenties, I believed I had tried everything to overcome my mental health problems. And of course, looking back on it, I hadn't, yeah. I hadn't at all whatsoever. I had tried one or two things. No, I didn't. I, you know, I didn't understand what was happening to me. I didn't know what to do. Um, I kept it quiet. And why I kept it quiet is because I didn't want you to see me as different. I didn't want you to judge me. I didn't want you to feel sorry for me or have pity on me. And I didn't want to lose friendships, family, uh, you know, maybe connections of love down the line would this would uh diminish my chances of that too so you keep it quiet and that all that fear builds up and compounds your feeling of depression your real lows and and the highs the, the overwhelm the anxiety and it's just being battled from one to the other and um there's always so much of that you can take um and like you said um it's behind the mask and I think it's so so common these days that people they they try to put on a, a face for just going even if it's down down to the shop and you know it's so sad to think that people have to go through that and that they're yeah. bottling it up for so for so long. Um I an interview I heard or was it a speech I I heard about two, three years ago after we met was you were up one night um and I oh know it was actually the morning and there was a man on, was it Ireland AM or morning Ireland? And he had yeah. the, he had the same, um, the same, I suppose, story. He was struggling with his mental health and you could relate to him because I think you were saying at the time, you didn't think there was anyone else like that. Yeah. Did, um, when you seen that, did it kind of lift the weight off your shoulders? No, do you know what it did? So I remember that it was the early morning getting ready from school and then my mother, come on, Neil, let's go. And you have the, the cereal box in front of you. You don't want anybody to see, you know, and you're eating your cereal. And uh, it was the program on TV3 Ireland AM or something was on. And I remember this man, he was in his 40s at the time and he had a great business and he had a, a loving wife, beautiful kids. He was everything going for him. And he just he suffered from depression. He just, it was like, he just couldn't put his finger on it. The more he achieved, he still had this loss, this lost feeling, this emptiness. And that when I heard that, I lifted my head and I was there. Wow. That's it. Everything I do, nothing gives me fulfillment in a sense. There's an emptiness always there. And the scary thing about that is if you achieve and achieve and achieve, and you still have this emptiness. When does it go? Does it ever go? And at, six, at 16, I was kind of, oh my, oh my God, like if he's 40, I can't, I can't go for another 30 years like this, you know? Um, and if he was, so it kind of gave me an understanding of it. So not in a good way, unfortunately, it was kind of, oh no, oh no, I can't do this. So suicide would have kind of 
um, be more frequent then at that stage in my thought process. Yeah. Um, and like you said, it's it's only when you when you can relate to, to somebody. Um, I remember when you, was it your sister that you, when you first said it to her, I think it was, I seen in the talk, was it her you said it to and you came so, up to her? Yeah, actually my sister-in-law. So my brother, um, Paul, and uh, my sister-in-law, Sinead, is actually from Clarny as well. And they live in Dublin. And I'd call in for a cup of coffee. It was um, a lovely day, beautiful day, April. Um, I think it was the 14th of April, 2014. I can remember the day. And I went in, we were chatting. I can smell the coffee as I'm walking in and chit-chat or whatever happening. And as you go into their kitchen, they have big doors that look out onto a beautiful garden where I would play, would have played with my nieces and nephews, be it basketball or trampoline or you name it. Um, and for some reason, I, I still don't understand why. I just said, I can't do this anymore. And she was there like, what? You know, work is it bad or, you know, what's going on? Or, and I said, no, I have to die. She's like, and I, I just, I can't imagine the impact that had that. It was, right. I'd say that was just like hitting a wall, you know what I mean? Yeah. And I then kind of clicked that I had to explain to her to get, give her an understanding of what I meant. And I just kind of said, you know, even though I know that my niece's names are Saoirse, Quiva, Patrick and Liam, even though Quiva, Saoirse, I will never see her finish her leaving cert or Quiva will never show me her one of her gymnastic routines or Patrick will never paint pictures of me again and Liam will never call me from the car to tell me the goal he scores even though they'll never say my name again or dial my number even though that will cause them great hurt uh, I said I still have to go I have to die because my pain outweighed everything else Yeah. even though I knew it would hurt my family my mother my pain outweighed everybody else. And in a sense, I felt that I would relieve them of pain as well eventually, if that makes sense. Yeah, totally. And she was like, oh my God. But when I spoke, that minute I spoke, now that's when the weight was lifted off my shoulders. That's when I was like, and I literally went like this, oh, geez, I'm great. I'll see you later. And she goes, what? <laughs> what? What? No, no, what? And I said, no, I've got a meeting. I've got to go. And it was literally li nearly that instantaneous. I said, geez, I should have talked years ago. But it was incredible. But the thing about talking is, I, I just want to mention this here is, it's easy for us to tell people who have mental health problems or any, any stresses or whatever. It's easy for us to tell, us, tell people to talk. It's very difficult to talk because yeah. I'm dealing with something I actually don't fully understand in a sense. At 15, 16, you don't understand it. You don't understand why. Not to mind. Um, so then I'm, yeah, exactly. Exactly. And then I'm supposed to tell you who won't understand at all. So, and yeah. if there's a miscommunication there, that could be detrimental to me because I may never speak again. But that day I spoke, I, I felt great. I did come back and uh, we, we addressed the situation, but I remember, say, two weeks after, my brother asked me, was I okay? And I said, sure, I'm grand. The great old Irish saying, I'm grand, sure. What would be wrong? And I was down and really, 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 really low. But yet I couldn't speak again because I felt I had used my get out of jail card, if that mm -hmm. makes sense. You know, so talking, we have to realize that some people will never talk. And that's okay. But if we can help people gain the tools and the knowledge that they can help themselves, maybe eventually they'll build the confidence to talk. 
All right. So it's not just as easy telling people to talk. Um, it's a very difficult thing, but it does help. You talking does help. And what I will tell you, everybody out there, please talk, talk, talk. Do not stop because even if you think your negativity is annoying people, they would rather hear you talk than never be able to help you in any way at all. Yeah, 100%. A quote that even before my accident, I was always kind of into mental health awareness and everything, but it's only since my accident and doing these interviews with you and with, with other guests, you learn something. I always try and bring mental health into the conversation and a quote that I, I always live by that I seen on, um, I don't know where it was, it was online, that suicide, it's a permanent solution to a temporary problem. And it's, yes. so, it's such a true quote. And like mm-hmm. you were saying, people, you, for the normal, for the person telling the, the people struggling to talk, it's not as it's not as easy as as it as it says, and I think and you'll agree probably that asking for help is the it's the hardest part. It's like you said, gaining the tools, and once you've yeah. asked for help, it's the the weight off your your shoulder when you do ask. Yeah. Would you would you agree with that? To- totally, yeah. Like, and when you do talk, it is the weight off your shoulder. It's not as easy, but as well when you talk, right people will connect to you as you know yourself Ian people are going to connect to you right yeah and they connect to me and they'll talk to us they'll open up to us because they'll feel comfortable and that's very important so if someone else talks eventually they're going to give someone else the opportunity it's going to have a knock-on domino effect and and that's the idea even if you talk yourself to someone in your community you never know who you're going to help because there's going to be someone in your circle that's also struggling without question at any stage. I did a talk there with the World Health Organization recently and there's a statistic going around, you know, loads of statistics and it's one in four people will struggle from something in their life. And I disrespectfully uh, will struggle with a mental health problem in their life. And I, I respectfully disagree with that because I could never have been a statistic, right? Because I wore a mask. So I could never have been a statistic and I'm not the only one. So there are more people wearing a mask out there covering it up. So I believe it's one and two. So if it's one and two, there's someone sitting next to you right now who could be struggling. It could be your husband or wife who give you the kiss goodbye in the morning or your kids who you drop off at school or your colleague who you sit next to or your best friend who you think you tell all your secrets to. It could be anyone. So just be mindful of that or it could be you. And if it's you, I do tell you to talk. And that's why I tell people they can contact me at any time Yeah, because and share, you know, and that's their first step. And I think, like you said, people can talk to you, and I think it's easier for the person to talk to somebody that's gone gone through it than just to the normal person, like that day your sister in law that it was such a a massive a massive yeah. shock to her. When was the was there a turning point that you that you said, "Hold on a minute, I can use my story to." help others like I like my own story it yeah. was when I was in in the ICU and I came up with the quote if you can stand up stand out I said look I can curl up in a ball here or I can use it to help others was yeah. there a, a turning point for you where you said <clears throat> do you know there's always turning points and I, 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 I I'm glad you asked this because I think you'll find the same when we talk, we learn about ourselves constantly in right you learn something new about when I when I get the opportunity to tell my story, I learn something new about myself all the time. 
throughout my story or how I delivered or whatever. I learned something. Never stopped learning. Um, I went to Pieta House that day. I t- talked to my sister-in-law, right? Um, I, I, said, I said to her as I left for my meeting, don't tell my brother. Like, I mean, like, you know, oh, yeah, sure. No problem. So I left. And uh, it's funny. I came back and they had this big black door with a glass window. And I rang the doorbell when I came back to their house. And of course, who comes towards me? Brother. My brother. And I said, oh, my God. Because, you know, sometimes it's not family you'll speak to because. And I'm the youngest because they want to do something. They want to kind of they want to take the reins, take control and do it. And that's not what you need. You just need someone to listen, you know, put their arm around you. But when I walked in that door. He didn't open his mouth to me. He just hugged me. Yeah. And that was one of the greatest moments of my life. We don't hug. He, and I just felt, okay, maybe something could be okay. But sorry, I went to pay the house and had one counselor didn't connect. I had two, didn't, the third counselor, brilliant. Counselors work people uh, just to say that, you know, you have to, like a personal trainer or something like that, you have to find the right for, person for you. It's, it's a personality. The one. Yeah, exactly. And so I met this uh, counselor. She was brilliant. She goes, Neil, I'll have to challenge you safely. And she was, I mean, if she didn't understand something, she would go away and come back the next week and tell, you know, we had had great conversations. And um, so they extended my sessions. I was getting about 25, 30 sessions. But after about 20, 20 something sessions, she said to me, she goes, I can't take you anymore, Neil. And I knew what she meant here. Eventually, I got to the stage where I was just... uh, telling her what she wanted to hear. Yeah. You know, I didn't want to hurt her feelings. And she clicked this eventually. And she goes, I have to pass you to someone else. And I thought that was unbelievable because she put her ego aside. She thought about me first. As I left that day. She wasn't thinking, where I can get more money. She was putting you first. Exactly. Exactly. And that's that's incredible. I, I haven't come across that, you know, too often. And she was great. She clicked with me. We connected. And that's what you need. And I left there and, you know, you hear that you people having that aha moment, as you said, that's what I had. And what I realized is that I could go to counseling every week and it's very important, but I was just putting out the fires of that week each time that the fire of that week. And I was, I was, yes, I was building confidence. I was getting stronger, but I wasn't stepping forward and to step forward really step forward I had to win from within and by that I mean I had to take responsibility and that is the hardest thing you can ever tell yourself when you're down here down you know six feet uh, in darkness and you have to take you tell me I have to take responsibility Neil yeah have a laugh yes you do and I, I realized that and take responsibility is small steps Ian as you did you took small steps I'll take small steps was that your my that- mantra is I am responsible. Yeah, yeah, I've seen that somewhere. Because I have, uh, I had a picture of Muhammad Ali and Usain Bolt. I was, there, I was doing an exercise. I said, guys, get me through this. And then I said, hang on a second. I don't need you. I, I'm responsible for this. I'll take over here. That, that's how I came up with it. And I am responsible. With all those external supports that I have, they're incredible, but they're made more beneficial to me because I also work on myself as well. Yeah. And that was my aha moment that, I needed to do stuff myself to step forward. So I'm not sure if that answers your question as such. Oh, no, totally. And I think anyone in, in any story, any situation in life, you're always going to have that point that clicks. Um, yeah. Something that I, I wanted to, to ask you about was, because I, 
I always see it online by people and stuff, and I always, I always wanted to try it, but I, I just haven't, haven't thought of a Sam of I, I just didn't give it a go yet. Meditation. Would you, would you be yeah. into meditation and stuff or? Yeah, so um, I, years ago, would have been the furthest person away from meditation. Yeah. I couldn't sit still. So um, what I would say is, again, a lot of people come to me that I work with and say, meditation doesn't work for me. Oh, I have all these thoughts. And that's the point. You have all these thoughts. We want to calm these thoughts. So for me, I didn't uh, gravitate towards meditation straight away because I wasn't ready. Okay. Yeah. I couldn't sit in myself for a minute, never mind 10, 15 minutes. Um, but what I did do then is I explored mindfulness and various types of meditation. And then I found one that I really clicked with. And it's called Transcendental Meditation, TM. And it just blew me away. Really? And I sit now 25 minutes in the morning and 25 minutes in the evening. And it goes like that. It goes the blink of an eye. I, I nearly get frustrated that it's gone so quickly. It's incredible. It, without it, 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 it just gives me that second before I react to situations. It gives me that calming feeling. It's, it's really good. It, and that's what worked for me. Yeah. What you do with everything is you find what works for you. And meditation for you could be sitting, having a coffee, people watching. Or it could be, all we need is that calm time. And my meditation gives me that calm time. And even today, I was getting a little bit, I'm um, developing a course. I was getting a bit anxious or whatever. And I said, okay, close the laptop, sit down, meditate. So I would recommend it. But again, when you're ready for it, don't yeah. be frustrated with it. The idea is you let the thoughts in, let the thoughts come. And your mind will go, oh, that's okay. I got that thought. And then it lets it filter away. Okay. So don't block them because if you block them, they keep rebounding at your head, basically. That's a basic uh, explanation, I believe, of my meditation. Um, yeah, no, I, I said I'd I'd ask you because it's something that I see a lot on on social media and a lot of people yeah. a lot of people using. Um, I know in my own situation it has has I don't know does it sound right to to say it, but has your experience with depression has it made you the man you are today? Oh, without question, like. I'm not yet the finished product and I'll never be the finished product. And I don't want ever to be the finished product because as I said to you, I'm learning all the time, every day. Um, and I, I, off air, we were saying this and I said to you, like, I never thought I would say this, that my depression, my anxiety, my suicidal ideation has had a massive positive impact on my life. Yeah. I wouldn't have written articles for newspapers, speaking to the World Health Organization, speaking in Europe, speaking to you right now. Uh, writing a book, doing these different things. I wouldn't do any, have been doing any of that. I studied sports degree in Tralee and I studied law in UCC and I don't do any of it. I am now working my passion, which is my mental health pro uh, problems. I haven't overcome my problems without question. I, and I don't know if I ever will. And But you know what? I don't need to ask myself that anymore. That's where I've got to. I manage it effectively. If I get a low, I know how to bring myself out of it. I'm not two or three days in bed. I can turn it around in an hour or two now. That's what it's doing. I will never tell you you will overcome your mental health problems. I will tell you I'll help you manage them and get through it, and you'll be productive every day. So has it made me the man without question? Um, and the people I've met and the connections I've met, the networks I've met, uh, uh, embraced, I'm living in Cyprus. 
you know, I, I've changed everything about myself, you know? So definitely without question, it has. The dark times I wish I have, I work with a couple of teenagers and I'm so proud of them because they speak, they've spoken. They're 21 years ahead of me because they've spoken out about, about it now. If your teenager speaks about now, if you're, if someone related to you speaks about it now or close to you, be so proud of them because it's so difficult. And um, I wish I could have spoke, uh, spoken about it uh, earlier and shouted it out and be, you know, it's part of me, it's who I am. Don't know if it ever will be always part of me. I don't know. It doesn't bother me. I'll move on. But yeah, you know, it's uh, it's definitely shaped me. I think like you said, it's who you are. And um, like you mentioned a while ago, when you're at your, your lowest and your mantra, you're responsible. I think what I've learned anyway, and it might be the same for you, that if you try to fight reality, you're going to lose every time because you just can't, you just can't change it. Like you have to accept it, you know, if you're, if, yeah. you're, if you try to go against it, you're going to lose. Yeah. Is there, um is there certain say days, weeks or time of the year that you that um I suppose that you might feel at your lowest or does it come in kind of does it come in I suppose three or four days at a time or can it be any time during the year? So like I suppose years ago Christmas time would have been a, a period because everybody's out and enjo- is enjoying themselves happy, merry, and you're like trying to be that, but inside you're, you're, you're dying. So Christmas never meant a lot to me at, 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 at when I was younger. It's only now in the last few years that the way I live my Christmas now my way, so it's better. Weekends, Sundays, I always used to find very hard. So the first one of the first things I did when I revealed about my mental health is I set little challenges for, for myself. And one of them was for me to go out on a Sunday on my own and sit in a kind of a, a pub with food, you know, pub grub with a book and just be okay with that. And that was a big fear of mine. And these little challenges, you know, so Sundays were tough. I found um, other times it's it's about, it can just come on. It can be triggered by something. So you have to find out what your triggers are. And usually there would be similar triggers that will, will set you off. So if my anxiety was set off, I, I've been at home in Killarney in my mother's house and my anxiety was set off. And I just said, mom, look, I, I need to deal with this. Don't worry about me. I'll be fine. I'll check in with you. But I need to change my location, get out of the house, go somewhere else, get it, you know, go for a walk, listen to me, beat music or something. So there's no particular time in a sense. My depression doesn't hit me for as long anymore. Um, I had an anxiety there a while ago and it, I timed it. <laughs> I timed it. It took me two, two, two hours to turn it around. Okay. And you don't want to, even though you know all the steps you have are good and will benefit you, you still don't want to. It's like exercise. You know, it's good for you and you feel good after, but still it, it takes you ages to get going for the next set. So for now, I would say it's just different things can trigger, but I'm aware of my triggers. So I know how to circumvent them and stuff like that, you know. Like you said, you're um you're aware of them now. Um, did you find because I I speak and spoken to a lot of people that have been affected by mental health, did you find like everybody has their own if I'm feeling a bit off someday, it's throwing headphones and go for a walk. Did you did sport or anything did did you find sport helped you when you were younger, say say my age growing up were you into sport and did it help yeah so 
I played football and soccer. I played football with Dr. Crowe, played soccer and stuff. And it's funny, though, every time I went onto the pitch, like every day when someone wakes up with depression or, or anxiety, you have to realize for them to get in front of you, they had to drag themselves up. So it took them an extra 50% to drag themselves up just to be in front of you. When I used to go onto the football field, that was it. I had to, or the soccer field, I had to drag myself up. I would, I would be lost before I moved on to the, and frustrated them myself before I got onto the field. And then I would have terrible games or I might have a good game or whatever, but it was just inconsistent. I never knew what way it would be. But sport, definitely. Um, I loved sport, always did. Um, loved football, loved soccer, loved the, the connecting with peers uh, and playing different teams and rivalries and all that. It was brilliant. And I'm friends with some of the rivals now from even Tralee in different places like that. And um, then... I got into running and ultra running and mountain running and stuff like that. And that was a great way. But what I really do love is I love, as you just said, sometimes I take, I, when I run, I don't use headphones. I like to listen to everything around me. Yeah. Sometimes I take my headphones for a walk. Sometimes I just go walk. And what I do is, and I hear, we know we hear this, so stay present all the time. But what I do is I do notice things. And I think the pandemic is great for that because even if you wrote, walked in your local area, a lot of us don't do this. You would have noticed things you've never noticed because if you're in a car all the time or whatever, you're passing by. So that's what I do. I'll sit if I see a squirrel or something. I'll just kind of take notice of them. And that brings me back around. Just like I just feel it's, it, it seems silly to say, but I feel the earth beneath my feet, basically, you know. Definitely. How important in your in your situation, in your even in your life in general, are you how important and does it help? routine and habits you know keeping your your mind occupied how important for you is routine incredibly important <clears throat> so um i teach a thing called bookend your day so <clears throat> what i mean by that is we we think life is certain nothing is life in life is certain nothing in life is certain and and i think the pandemic highlighted that a lot right yeah. uncertainty is everywhere but we, we take it for granted and we'll fall back into the same trap after the pandemic. Yeah. So I try to create some certainty in my day and I bookend it. So what I mean by that is the morning time, we can kind of control our morning time, right? So what I do is I try to get as many wins as I can. And these little wins start me off in a positive mindset. So what I do is I don't press snooze on my alarm clock. Why I don't press news on my alarm clock is because I know if I press news, I don't sleep. My head starts ticking over yeah. and that will stop me getting up in the morning. So I hop out of bed. And the second thing I do, we've all heard of this. I make my bed. I That's consciously make. Sorry to interrupt, but the, the, what you said there about licking snooze and you don't sleep, but your head wanders. That's that. It's so true, though. Yeah, it is. And and sure you're tossing and turning and then you're you're talking yourself out of doing anything else for the day. You know what I mean? Yeah. And that's for me, that was that was I, I clicked with this. I said, OK, all right, let's just jump out of the bed. I make my bed. That's my second win. I consciously make my bed. I remember the first time I ever did it. Um, I might be proud that I made my bed. But uh, the first time I did it, um, 
I had a bad day and I came back into my house. I just went straight to my room and my bed was made. And it was that feeling of, you know, when you change your bed sheets into new bed sheets, yeah. it's just, ah, and it, I just had that comfort. So the third thing I do is I have a bottle of water beside my bed, because if I don't drink water during the day, at least I've done it there. Um, I meditate, I review my plan for weeks. So there's steps I take that I can control. I set myself up for my day. The middle of the day, is tougher for us to, to have that control because we interact with other people. We have deadlines, we have different things, okay? So we can still do things to win that, but it, it's harder. At the end of the day, I try to wind my way down again. So I meditate. I try to find little wins I can do. I might watch Netflix for an hour, but I set my alarm to stop it. I set my alarm when it's time to go to bed. I try to get in bed for 10 o'clock. I write my goals every morning, every evening in a notebook, in the present tenses, if I've achieved them already, yeah. things like this, again, to wind myself down. So if I've had a bad day, I can bring it back around for myself. So the idea is that I bookend my day, start it off my way, whatever happens in the center happens, but I bring it back around my way. I've started um, journaling every day and it's something I before my accident I'd, ne I'd never have done. Um <laughs> Yeah. You know, just simple things like what you're grateful for. And and I know it might be mean nothing to some people, but if it means something to you, that's the that's the totally. most important thing. Um when you started doing your blog and stuff, because I when I put my first post up after my accident, um when you put up your first post when you started blogging and shared your story, after you clicked post, was there that bit of anxiety there? What's going oh, to happen next? <laughs> oh, uh, yeah, uh, I wrote my post. I didn't release it. I was living in Dublin. I didn't release it till about two or three in the morning. So no one would see it. So I was posting so people would read it, but I didn't want anybody to see it. Yes. All right. I was, oh, my God, I was, I, I was there. No, I can't do this. I can't do this. I posted it. Then I eventually fell asleep. My head was wandering. I didn't sleep well. And then, you know, when you wake up in the morning, you go, oh, no. And I looked and I had inundated with messages from all systems. Because, of course, I put it on every form of social media I could. Like, the guy that didn't want it to be read, it was everywhere. And it was incredible, the, the, the feedback, you know. And obviously, going for my second blog post, then again, I had the same feeling. I, and that feeling would always come to me, but I have to fight through that. Even today, I fight through those feelings. Um, but yeah, it, it, you know, it, I said to myself, I made a promise to myself. That's why my, even my email is neil at neilcalders.com. My, my website is neilcalders.com because I don't want to hide anymore behind a mask. This is who I am. This is me, good or bad. And I'm, I'm, I'm here to, to help and give hope to people. That's, that's the idea. Um, same as yourself, give people hope that, you know, we can change things. We can do things. We can do whatever we want. And I know we hear this all the time, but, you know, we can. It doesn't have to be these great steps. We can do whatever we want. So, yeah, that blog post that day, wow, I'll never forget that night. Um, in the same, I seen um, in the talk you've done before, you said if you're waiting for a Zoom call, or I think it was something, if you're waiting for a Zoom call and you have two minutes, you might pick two exercises and get them done would you would you be that kind of person if you had a few minutes here and there waiting for something would you try and do something productive in them two minutes never was i'm a disaster but now 
I, I mean that meant so because habits we talked about how you were saying about habits consistency is key if I'm not consistent that will be detrimental to me if I don't keep my routine um, yeah it wavers all the time trust me but if I don't keep some routine so what what I mean by that is that so say if uh, you're there oh geez I, I have no time to exercise now I, I usually go to gym for an hour I do this I'm there. No, you can get off your chair. You can do squats for 10 seconds, 20 squats, do something. Because the idea is that you're getting into the routine of it's still part of your day. It has still been, it doesn't matter if it's only for five minutes, you throw on your shorts, your t-shirt, whatever you do, your exercise. So the idea is even if you have two minutes, do the thing you were supposed to do. Even if you spent an hour on it, just do it for the two minutes because you're still keeping your head in the game and the consistency of the routine. I think that's what I was uh, talking about there. Yeah, um, that's um, that's it really. Just one, um, one one thing before we go, as I always ask my guests, is if you have one bit of advice for anybody in your situation now that's putting on that mask that you that you had on when you were younger, what would you say to them if you could tell them now? The, fir- the first thing is I would just tell you that, you know what, you are worth it. Um, you without question, I, I felt so worthless and lost and empty and you are worth it. And life, I never thought I'd say this, life is worth it. Yeah. So worth it. And the people you love. But what I will tell you is, if you change nothing, nothing changes, right? If you change nothing, nothing changes. So all I'll tell you to do is do something just something simple. It doesn't have to be big steps. Do something. It's just the tiny things all add up to the to the big yeah. result, as they say. Oh, Neil, yeah. thanks so much for, for coming on today. And I know that the the interview will give people hope and help a lot of people. And that's what I try to do on this show. So thanks a million for, for sharing your story today. Ian, thanks for having me and keep inspiring me and others out there. I really appreciate it. Now, unfortunately, that's all we have time for tonight. I hope you all enjoyed the show and I really appreciate you all tuning in every Wednesday night. If you have anything to say regarding the show, you can send me a DM on my Instagram, enoconnell321, or through my email address, ioconnell at radiocarry.ie. I hope you're all having a great week. Brian Priestley is up next with That's Jazz. I will be back at the same time next week from 8 to 9 p.m., Until then, stay safe and mind yourself. You're listening to Stand Out with Ian O'Connell. Wednesday evenings from 8pm here on Radio Kerry.